Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Peace Building Podcast. Uh, you know, now that Stephen Gray has joined me as a guest host, we're kind of taking two tracks on the podcast. Steve will be focusing his interviews on people who formerly considered themselves to be in the emerging field of peace building. And I will continue to take a wider, more interdisciplinary view, pulling from coaching, mediation, facilitation, and more to explore all kinds of process interventions that build common ground, or what I call collaborative intelligence in complex systems. As you know, I've also come to believe in the process of doing this podcast, and after years of doing global conflict resolution, that the most impactful peace building initiative we can undertake on this planet is to empower women and to create true partnerships between men and women on the planet. So on that note, I am super excited to have Terry Real on the show. Terry is a nationally recognized family therapist, author, and teacher. He's particularly known for his groundbreaking work on men and male psychology, as well as his work on gender and couples. He's been in private practice for over 25 years and has appeared often as a relationship expert on popular shows in the United States like Good Morning America, ABC News. He's been on media venues such as Oprah 2020, The Today Show, CNN, The New York Times, and you name it. He is an amazing, clear, brave thinker. And he forges a path for us, uh, provides real leadership at the intimate level about how we create a more peaceful planet. A statement that I most associate with him is uh, to walk, he says, to walk into intimacy, men and women must walk out of patriarchy. And his unorthodox approach to couples therapy, which we might as well call mediation because this is the Peace Building Podcast, is that he says that whenever he has a woman who's in trouble in a couple, his first move is to empower the woman, and whenever he's dealing with a man in trouble in the couple, his first move is to empower the woman. Women's voices, he believes, are the voices that will be the wedge into patriarchy. Men will catch up, but women will lead the charge. A couple of other highlights. Uh, when I ask him to make the links between the intimate and the global, it's dead easy, he says. It's about the basic mistake of patriarchy, which is also known as dominion. The essential mistake of patriarchy is that as a man, and patriarchy is masculinity writ large, you are to be in control, you are above nature, you are lord and master, whether you are above the nature of your child, above the nature of your own vulnerabilities, or nature as embodied by your wife or mother nature. We'll take care of it, he says, we're in charge, we can do it, we are the doctors, give us the paddles, where's the patient? He also goes on to say that masculinity is basically at war with itself. The old model, the patriarchal model, and uh, a new ecological model, what he calls an ecological model, which is emerging, especially among millennial men. He says that the shift from a dominion model to a collaborative model, or the shift from a patriarchal model to a democratic model, is that you move out of the hubris, the pride, the delusion that you are above nature, 
and above, standing above the system, whatever that system is, your marriage, your family, your planet, uh, you're not standing above this system, you're in it. You are a subcomponent part of it and you have to move inside the system effectively with the humility and clear perception of where you are in it. The delusion, and this is really powerful, the delusion of dominance is lethal, he says. He says, let me say that again because I conclude many of my talks this way, we will move beyond patriarchy or we will die. It's that simple. And addressing women, I continued to follow up with him many of the threads I was asking Scylla, Dr. Scylla Elworthy about, and the focus on women and how we need to really step into our leadership here. Uh, Terry says, women are up to their eyeballs with codependency, whether it's mothers tearfully and pridefully sending their sons off to war or women voting for Trump in the United States and places like that. He says that whenever he has a woman who fears that standing up to power, speaking truth to power will have repercussions, I will never dismiss or pathologize these concerns. Because guess what? They do have consequences. Uh, he comments on what's happening to Supreme Court nominee, uh, what's happening with Dr. Ford as she's um, bringing to the light some of what happened with her, which he says happened to her with Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh. So women, if you step beyond patriarchal roles, he says, you will encounter a pushback. But ultimately, you should do it anyway, in spite of the consequences, because life is better when we speak up. Um, life is better because you have congruence inside your skin. He uh, goes on to quote Carol Gilligan, who is, for those of you who know her, she wrote a absolutely groundbreaking book called In a Different Voice, I believe, in the 80s. And uh, says that, you know, women slip more easily into an ecological collaborative model. Uh, this shift from being accommodating and compliant to being collaborative, which means that you own your own voice and speak up, is not an easy shift for women. However, to move out of a dominance model and into a collaborative model is a bear for men. It's really hard. They don't get it. It's pounded into you that the world is either one up, one down, winner, loser, dominator, or dominated. One of the things is that people say men are afraid of intimacy, Terry says, but they're not. Men don't know what intimacy is. Men are afraid of subjugation. And you cannot be intimate from the one up, one down model. That's why leading men into intimacy means leading them out of patriarchy. So we ended with a really an optimistic note on looking at what's happening with millennials, millennial men being the most gender progressive cohort uh, that he's known so far on the planet. And some of the research that indicates that um, egalitarian ma marriages breed happier, more satisfied partners than hierarchical marriages do. As he says, it's about relational joy, which is the joy of being connected, being the flow of relationality, whether that's with a partner, with nature, with God, with yourself, with your kids, uh, to be in a state of flow and connection. This is the only joy we humans feel. And it's one of the reasons he does the therapy that he does. And, you know, it's synonymous with just like, I think, living an ecological model versus a patriarchal model on this planet, or a partnership model, as Rianne Eisler calls it, is going to create a much more pleasurable world for all of us. So one note on the sound, heads up, it's not quite as good as we'd like to be. Uh, we didn't have a headset on Terry, apologies for that. 
But I'm saying this before I hear the end result of uh, what our great sound doctors are doing. Uh, just a shout out again to Scott Grunberg and Felipe Linero, who are just amazingly helpful to us. And also big thanks to Mary Grace Donahue for her show notes. In this case, we asked her to do it more like a transcript because we wanted to make sure that if the sound didn't always come through, you could hear Terry's great thinking. So I think you're going to find this interview super interesting. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy this great episode. So, Terry, it's really a pleasure to have you. Uh, really an honor. You're just like been really an inspiration for me for the last 10 years. I pretty much hang on every word, you know. I really appreciate what you have to say. And this is an interesting time to be having this conversation, I think, around the whole Kavanaugh thing. And I, I mean, the, the image that I have is like this, I don't know, this patriarchal pimple is about to pop. <laughs> something like that. But, uh, you know, I'm interested that the title of this interview is Building Peace from the Intimate to the Global. Yes. And um, I know you also talk about, at the intimate level, you talk about what you need to do is empower women. Yeah. So I wanted you to make links between the intimate level and what you think is happening at the global level. Oh, it's, it's dead easy. The work that I do is... Uh, teaching men and women how to live relational lives. The, the therapy I do is called Relational Life Therapy. The Institute is called Relational Life Institute. I'm about living relationally. What does that mean? It means, this is how I teach it, and here's the link. It means living ecologically. Living relationally is synonymous with living ecologically. Look, D.H. Lawrence, G. I am not a mechanism And I am not ill because the various parts are not working correctly. I am ill because of deep wounds to the soul. And then he goes on to say that what is necessary is a certain long, difficult repentance, the turning away from life's mistake, the mistake that mankind at large has chosen to sanctify. What is that mistake? It's the mistake of patriarchy. Hmm. It is the essential mistake of patriarchy. And here's what it is. Here's what patriarchy is. It's dominion. When God, when patriarchal God made Adam and Eve and all the creeping things on earth, he gave Adam, and presumably, I guess, Eve as well, dominion. They were to be lords as he was lord. And that was a really, really bad idea. (laughs) Uh, dominion over. It's what Rianne Eisler, the author of The Chalice of the Blade, called the difference between power over and power with. Or it's what the Greeks called hubris, believing that you were above nature. And the essential mistake of patriarchy is that as a man, and patriarchy is masculinity writ large, as a man, you are to be in control. You are above nature. You are Lord and Master, whether you're, you're above the nature of your child or the nature of your own vulnerabilities or the nature uh, and nature as embodied by your wife or mother nature. We'll take care of it. We're in charge. We can do it. We're the doctors. Give us the paddles. Where's the patient? 
So I have been um, come to believe that women, there's a global epidemic of codependency around the around the planet. And that while Scylla Elworthy, who's uh, the Nobel laureate that was uh, I just interviewed, she comments on how many women around the world are really actually doing a lot to they are at the grassroots changing things all over the place. And yet, I think a lot of women are very afraid of changing this balance. And I wanted to ask you. Because they should be, by the way. Because why? Why? Because, um, first of all, I, I um, well, one of the things I say is that leading men and women into intimacy, into health, into a healthy relationship with themselves, this is what I mean by living relationally, in a healthy relationship of connection and authenticity to themselves, their own feelings, sensations, wants, needs, thoughts, the connection to themselves, self-esteem, and connection to others, and then connection to a community larger than themselves, the spirit larger than themselves or purpose, and the planet. You know, the way that uh, what patriarchy, you cannot be above and connected at the same time. Mm -hmm. So let me just say, I mean, in the domestic realm, the personal realm, the masculine imperative to be invulnerable, to be strong, to be in charge, uh, sets men up to be defensive and shut down and not nice. And uh, moving into a more democratic model in your living room and your bedroom is a big shift for a lot of couples, particularly all over the world. Step out of the, you know, North America and Europe. Fifty years of the women's movement has had an impact. It may not be perfect, but when you go to places where there hasn't been 50 years of the women's movement, you see the difference. It's not subtle. For sure. Yeah, why should women be afraid? Whenever I have a woman who fears that standing up to power, speaking the truth to power, will have repercussions, I never dismiss or pathologize those concerns. Because guess what? They do. Look at uh, Kavanaugh. And uh, look at what's going on with Dr. Ford. I mean, Uh, these folks, by the way, to our listeners are the Supreme Court, current Supreme Court nominee uh, to the United States Supreme Court, just so you understand what he's talking about. And the the woman who is accusing him of potential rape when she was a teenager. The sexual assault. Yeah. We're in interesting times, aren't we? Because there's a research, you know, um, for those of us in, in the States, uh, when Obama and Michelle were on board, I mean, they were a post-patriarchal family. They were where we're headed. They were lovely. And uh, he was a great family man. I, I have plucked out of the old traditional model a few kernels because it's not completely monolithically negative. And I've repurposed them, if you will. Oh, cool. Okay. What's that look like? (laughs) I talk to men about becoming family men. I talk to men about the difference between being a boy and being a man. Being a boy is about 
what is the world going to give me? What am I going to get? And being a man is about what is the world asking of me right now? What do I need to give? At the global level, the global equivalent of being a family man would be being a good steward. We're not lords of the earth. Like a global parent, a very effective global parent. Yes. You know, the shift from a dominion model to a, a collaborative model, and we, we collaborate with nature when we think ecologically. The shift from a patriarchal model to a democratic or collaborative model is that you move out of the hubris, the, the pride of the delusion of being above nature, and you realize that you're not standing outside and above the system, whatever the system is, if it's your marriage, if it's your family, if it's your planet, you're not standing above it. You're in it, dumb cough, wake up. You're in it, you're a subcomponent part, and you have to move inside the system effectively with the humility and the clear perception of where you are in the system. And the delusion of dominance is lethal. Let me say that again. <laughs> this is how I conclude many a talk. We will move beyond patriarchy or we will die. It's really that simple. So continuing on the fear theme, there's obstacles both you know, for men and women around fear of creating this social change. The women, you say they should be afraid. Yes. Yeah. And then the question is, how do you want to position yourself in relationship to that fear? See, if you step beyond the patriarchal walls, you will encounter a pushback. Oh, yeah. <laughs> whether you're Dr. Ford or whether you're my, I'll tell you a personal story, if I might. Patriarchy in my little family. Mm -hmm. uh, we were in the Dominican Republic and the kids were like little. And uh, they, like many of the children there, they adopted to have, you know, cornrows in their hair. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, Justin, my jock, who was maybe seven, I just elected to have like one or two, like a little Keith Richards, you know, like jock, uh, rock and roll deal. And uh, Alexander, the little one, did his whole head, did the whole head in his favorite colors, pink and gold. So it's now time to go back to school and I've got these things in their hair and we have a discussion. This is what I call, this is what I tell parents about rendering your children gender literate, just like mm -hmm. cultural literate. Mm -hmm. like, and what we say to them is this, look, you guys can express yourselves. They knew what that meant. You guys can express yourselves and show up and show off this cool thing. And you may get grief for it you may get made fun of, there may be a negative reaction to you. Maybe not, maybe. Or you can undo it and, and nobody will bug you, obviously. You go under the radar, but you, you'll give up a part of who you are. What do you guys want to do? And they will say, yeah, we'll do it. And that morning, getting into the car, uh, Justin sends his foot into the car and goes, I can't do it, I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and poor guy, we ended up having to cut the damn things because, you know, it takes so long and they were late for school. Alexander turned out to be the toast of the town. The issue is that it's not my choice, it's theirs, but I want it to be an informed choice. Same thing when a woman dares to stand up and have voice. It's like, you know, Anita Hill was not treated very kindly 
Mm-hmm. It's not about promising a rose garden. This is resistance. This is serious. There's a lot on the line here. Their lives on the line. There are billions of dollars on the line. And there's the potential for a lot of loneliness. There's the potential for not having economic support. Uh, you know, I think those things are very real for a lot of women. Well, very real. You know, so I have uh, a, uh, a woman, not American, a Latina woman, and she has a husband who goes after her children. A husband, a boyfriend who goes after her children. He also brings in a paycheck. And she has been at the mercy of the state for years. And it's like, if I stand up to this guy and protect my children, my children will not eat very well. And if I don't stand up to him, I watch him excoriate my little Yeah, it's something that I, you know, in the United States, and I don't know if this is true around the world, but in the United States, women actually have either have or will have in the 21st century control over most of the economic assets, the majority of economic assets. Isn't that marvelous? Yeah. And it, I don't know, when I say control, I don't know if they're actually managing it or if it's in name only. I don't know those statistics, but I think that at the end of the day, making sure that we can support ourselves is absolutely key to being able to walk away because you can't negotiate if you can't walk away. And if you're always in Britain. That's exactly right. And that's why when I say the first, I say when I deal with with a woman in trouble, my first move is to empower the woman. When I deal with a man in trouble, my first move is to empower the woman. And women's voice is the voice that will be the wedge into patriarchy. Not men. Men will catch up, but it's women who are leading the charge. And so, yeah, well, so why should they, given all the fear, given all the potential negative consequences, obviously they are doing it, but why should they do it, in your view? Because there are also negative consequences to not doing it. And look, if you want rosiness from me, I don't know if it's the move I'm in or what, but I talk real politics. You know what? Pick your poison. Just like I said to my two little boys, pick your poison. Mm-hmm. No. So why do we speak up? Because we do. And because life is better, I believe, even though there may be tough consequences, life is better. You have congruence inside your skin. So the big secret, I think, out there is the level of global codependency, and maybe you could define that because you're the you're the expert, but of men on women. I think that's also a pretty global pandemic. And when I look at, like, again, I don't know, I think men really need the support of women and don't like to admit it. I think that's great. And I also think that a lot of uh, domestic violence is fueled. Most batterers are love addicts. Could you explain that? Because that's close to what we're talking about here in terms of, well, say a little bit more about that. What do you mean? Well, the wound in love addiction is usually some form of abandonment. So these men, you know, it's 99% men. There's some women, but it's smattering. Anyway, these men get triggered by distance-taking or independence from the women. It feels like abandonment to them. They can't tell the difference between distancing and abandonment. What trauma-triggering is, 
is reliving. It's not a memory, right? If you're a combat vet and you're walking down Main Street and the, you hear a car backfire and you spin around like you've got a gun in your hand, you're not thinking, oh, I'm walking down Main Street remembering combat. You're back in combat. That's how trauma works. You're back, you're flooded, you're in it. Your body's in it. So what happens is that these men have histories of severe emotional abandonment. And when the woman pulls away in any, any distance, triggers that early childhood abandonment feeling, which is very frightening. They have about 10 seconds worth of tolerance for those early childhood vulnerable feelings. And they defend against them by flying up into grandiosity. They go from inadequacy, helplessness, shame, into righteous indignation, dominance, and control. And they act out. And what's devilish about this is that the flight from shame into grandiosity does work. It acts like self-medication. You feel better. Mm -hmm. It's just disastrous. But you feel better in the moment. So, Terry, can you say something about the phenomenon of strongman rule around the planet? What's going on here and uh, what you think, you know, for instance, why so many women voted for Trump? That phenomenon. Yeah, let me, let me do, uh, that's a A and B of a, of a question. Let me answer the first one. The rise of strongmen around the world. Look, I'm writing an article for the Psychotherapy Network, and the first line of the article is that masculinity currently is at war with itself. There are two versions of masculinity right now around the globe. Mm-hmm. One is a new ecological, collaborative, democratic model of what masculinity looks like. If you want to see that model, look at millennial guys in America, at least. I don't know about any other culture, but I imagine in others as well. That model was epitomized by uh, the Obama family. And uh, I don't know, I don't think I'm idealizing to say that Obama really modeled a progressive man and what a progressive man looks like. Uh, he had a strong wife. He was very much a family man. He was thoughtful. He didn't shoot from the hip. He wasn't like a bully. He wasn't a cowboy, like both Bushes, for example. Uh, he understood e- ecology. He was petrified about global warming and ready to ante up and within the limits of American politics, which is, of course, owned by corporate interests. But my best bet is within the limits of what he could realistically do. He was, of course, a great advocate of the Paris Accord. And then you got Trump, and you have Orban, and you have Turkey, and you have... You know, this month's article in the Atlantic, uh, I think the whole issue actually is devoted to the question of whether democracy is at, currently at risk, like imminently. Mm-hmm. And to be real, I fear for our country if the midterm elections don't change the House, if not the Senate, if Trump and the Republicans feel like they have a mandate, I fear for democratic institutions. I fear for our children with their inheriting, for sure. So uh, you can live a non-patriarchal relational life in your living room, and you can live a non-patriarchal ecological life in the planet. So um, 
he may not appreciate me saying this, but my son is 23 and he is um, dating and he is heterosexual, but he doesn't necessarily call himself that. And he, but he went on a dating site uh-huh. and he doesn't have to identify whether he's interested in men or women on this dating site. But he said that he was somebody who really was comfortable with a range of feelings. And he is, he's a very masculine guy, mm-hmm. but he, uh, you know, he's a mountaineer and uh, he's a tall white guy. He's gorgeous. But he says he's really, you know, he really believes in being an emo- a highly emotionally intelligent man. Well, the only people that responded to him on this dating site were gay men. men. You know, and he said, I don't know, mom. I think I need to change my profile. Women don't seem to want. I need to be the mountain man. I need to be the Marlboro man. And maybe I'll get women. And this is a millennial kid, right? This is a millennial kid. I'll tell you what I would say to him. What? Try it. (laughs) (laughs) Try it. Well, the issue is... In the early dating phase, uh, he might lean a little more on the mask, quote-unquote masculine side of it for his image and profile and wooing strategy. Women like strong men romantically. You know, it's an open secret. There's a lot of surrender in for a lot of women in, in sexuality. My friend Esteb Perhez says... Uh, we like between the sheets what we fight in the streets. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, your son is the new man. He's the man I want in the world. I don't want a soft, an uber, I don't want an emo, a soft, sensitive. I, I want a balanced man. I want a whole man. Just like feminism wants whole women. You know, when feminism first came on board, there was a lot of hysteria about masculinization of our daughters, the androgenization of our daughters. And it became very, you know, then it was all about, we started seeing commercials of, uh, you know, I can bring home the bacon, fry it up in a pan, and uh, be like basically a porn queen in the bedroom. So... I want wholeness. My model, it kills me, and I get this. Oh, Terry Real, he's about feminizing men. You know what? Go screw yourself. I like to think about, look, there wasn't much good that came out of 9-11, but for me personally, I was heartened to see pictures of these burly policemen and first responders and firemen in each other's arms, crying and comforting each other. And these are New York fire. I mean, I don't want to be around when you call them a sissy. Right. These are strong men. But So I talk about being strong, big-hearted men. So let me ask, you deal with often couples that are at the high end of the economic spectrum. I do. Um, who are coming in as, as a last-ditch effort before they're going to start signing divorce papers or whatever. I have a two-day intervention. We work intensively for two days. At the end of the two days, you're either on different footing or you're calling a lawyer. It's one or the other. This is it. This is the last shot. And people come in from all over the world to do that. So, yeah. So I know that Gay Hendricks, you know, the, the psychologist Gay Hendricks, I don't know, he uh, wrote Conscious Loving and The Big Leap. And anyway, apparently there was some study that at the high end, 
there's less sat- really less satisfaction among men and women. So, I mean, in other words, where you have a really powerful guy, it's harder for there to be partnership. And I, I know a lot of women out there that are pretty powerful. They have plenty of money and they're on their own. You know, they don't. Yeah, just, just like your son uh, probably doesn't need to put the pedal down too hard on those feminine characteristics of being emotional and feeling full. And maybe that shouldn't be in his ad. You know, maybe he'll show up and be those things. And that's what will keep the young woman but uh step out of the role and it's what we started off with step out of the role and their consequences on both sides do you think that closer you get to that kind of you know like like for instance a like a less moon vis i mean maybe i the, the cbs ceo yeah you know is it i mean he did some really weird stuff in his capacity you know like shoving his tongue down women's throats. I mean, really, but, you know, shoving them against the wall. It's like really bizarre that somebody that had that much power would behave like that. So is somebody like that capable of having a real partnership with a woman? No, they're not. Um, I'll answer in a kind of tricky way, not to be evasive, but the they that they are now is not capable of having a partnership with a woman. The they that they uh, could be might, uh, but there's a, quite a distance between who they are now and who they might be uh, if they worked at it. But do they have the transformative potential? Yeah, I, you know, I got to tell you, obviously I'm not going to go into any details, but I work with many of the fallen. I work with the men who are now living out the Greek tragedy and have lost everything. And um, there are consequences. There are consequences. The amazing thing is the war. At the same time this is going on, the Me Too movement is going on. Me Too movement is the first time that women collectively, at such numbers, worldwide, and God bless technology for a lot, you know, uh, to speak up and to name names. You know, I talk about, if I can be abstract for a moment, I, you asked me what patriarchy was. I said it's a mistake of dominion. Another thing is to call it traditional gender roles, which is an accommodating, resentful woman coupled with a outwardly a grandiose, inwardly shame-based man. Hmm. I like to say that an outwardly accommodating, inwardly resentful woman coupled with an outwardly dominant, inwardly insecure man is America's power couple. Well, let me let me ask you, is it the global power couple? Yeah, it probably is. I mean, I think it may be globally pretty cookie cutter, but I don't I don't know. Uh, I think it is. I think it is. Yeah. And, you know, the U.S. can these sort of uh, captains of the universe have relationships. They can. Uh, they, they can. They have to give up. the. You know, the problem is that narcissism is gratified with that level of power and money. So your chick gives you a hard time. You just eject her and go for a younger model. I mean, who's more compliant. Mm-hmm. And when you're rich, you know, you're, there's a lot of these guys on their second, third young wives. And uh, my friend, <laughs> my friend Carol Gilligan 
she, she did it for a while in this apartment building in New York. And there was a gym in the basement. It was a pretty high-end apartment. And she said, all of these women, young women, you know, all coupled with these guys, like 20, 30 years there, seniors, were down there on those treadmills, man. <laughs> you know, they were working it. They were getting it. Mm. Anyway, so is that the global? Yeah, that's the global power couple. Yeah. So I have two more questions for you because I don't want to overextend your time. Um, you know, one of them is that, again, I, I really do think that women, particularly my particular, I am a woman, so I feel like I could speak to women. And Dr. Silla Elworthy was speaking to him. And I think women, the more we step up and step into our leadership, the more things are going to change. And I understand it's scary, but there's like a lot of examples out there in the world of women doing amazing things. But listen, I just want to be clear before I, I feel like I got cornered. I am not supporting women in not speaking up. I'm all about empowering women to speak up. And when you do speak up, marvelous things happen, even though you encounter resistance. It's well worth it. You know what? I want to write a memoir about my marriage. I want to call it A Fight Worth Having. <laughs> so I, that's what I mean. I, I don't want to get carried away just because I'm empathic to people's fear. Like, I want them to, to feel the fear and do it anyway. Let me be clear. So one thing I notice is, and I'm going to get a little graphic here, but, um, you know, at the level of, <laughs> I guess at the level of our genital differences, I think a lot of deference, like, for instance, some of those images of Kavanaugh, if they are true, of him putting his penis in women's faces. Mm. It's sort of metaphoric in a way. And one of the things I notice about women is that, and maybe this has to do with the church and 2000 years of the church and sort of uh, women denying their sexuality, but women are super powerful. And what was it? Audre Lorde talked about the connection between the power of the erotic. And I guess I see that the more that women are connecting to that power it's a different kind of power, but it's super important in terms of creating a different kind of world. Well, you, uh, I mentioned Carol Gilligan in a, in a funny way. Let me be a little more serious because her work is really one of the key pillars in a movement in Israel called Women Wage Peace. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd like to get someone like that on the on the podcast. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, I'll ask her. Um, remind me. Anyway. This is a Palestinian, Israeli, a smattering of American, Europeans, whatever, but mostly Palestinian, Israeli women together, uh, starting in the desert, signing a contract of peace, and then bringing it in a march to, I think, the capital. Like thousands, tens of thousands of women in this. Yeah. No, it's a di- you know, to quote Carol, it's a different voice. Women, not always, but often have a different voice. And the voice is a voice that is more connected. Women slip more easily into an ecological collaborative model. Mm-hmm. You know, the shift from being accommodating and compliant to being collaborative, which means that you own your voice and speak up, is not an easy shift for women. However, the move out of a dominance model into a collaborative model is a bear for men. It's really, it's hard. They don't get it. 
the world is pounded into you. The, the world is either one up or one down, winner or loser, dominator or dominated. You know, one of the things I want to say is and people say that men are afraid of intimacy. Men are not afraid of intimacy. Men don't know what intimacy is. Men are afraid of subjugation. Mm -hmm. The one up, one down. You cannot be intimate from the one up or the one down. That's why leading men into intimacy means leading them out of patriarchy because patriarchy is only one up and one down. That's all it is. And so leading men into same as, into healthy self-esteem that isn't earned, and then leading them into connection. Anyway, that's leading them out of patriarchy. So it's the same process whether it's a, in a therapist with a couple or whether it's you in your bedroom or whether it's you in your head. The play of patriarchy goes on inside your skull as the play of grandiosity and shame. Any hierarchy. You know, Gilligan calls patriarchy the interplay of binary and hierarchy. The binary of this is male, this is female, and the hierarchy of male is privileged, female is valued. Simple as that. That plays out in your head is shame and grandiosity. You're either better than or less than. Mm -hmm. Masculine or feminine. The way out of this mess is same as, neither better than nor less than. You're one of God's creatures. You have worth because you're here. You don't have to earn it. So my last uh, question, Dr. Rianne Eisler was on this on this show. And, oh, great. And she, you know, she talked about the connection between societies that have more partnership at the family level and that don't support militarism, that there's a strong link between those societies and the ones where you see more patriarchy or domination. She doesn't use the word patriarchy, but more patriarchy, you see more support for mili militarism at the level of the state. So, you know, I've been making the point that empowering women, getting gender right is the pathway to planetary peace. Does that make sense to you? And why does it make sense to you? Because of the sentence that I said earlier, we will all shift beyond patriarchy or as a species, we will probably expire. <laughs> and then combining that with the sentence I said just a moment ago, that women can slip into an ecological, an ecological model is not that far on the women. They're used to collaboration. They collaborate with each other. Collaborative model is more feminine. And so as women do find their voice and step into power. Look, to go back to Brett Kavanaugh, I mean, the issue here are the two women Republicans. I mean, in terms of what, whether they're going to vote to put them on the Supreme Court or not. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I think either one vote and it's stalled, two votes, and it's failed. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, as women bring in power, come into uh, more power, and slowly and slowly they are. Uh, they will bring a different perspective, one hopes. Now, even that's new because when women first moved into power, and still to some degree, you know, there are strong men who happen to be women, right? Yeah. All over the, the world. Uh, uh, and, uh, and one last thing, and then, then uh, <laughs> one last thing. Uh, why women uh, voted for Trump? Why women participate in this? Women participate in patriarchy. Women, I'm sorry to say, ladies, uh, women are up to their eyeballs uh, complicit in patriarchy. Yeah. Whether it's mothers uh, tearfully and pridefully sending their sons off to war or whether it's women voting for Trump. No, the whole thing would come down if women weren't 
yeah. supporting it. Well, however, I, let me tell you, this is interesting because there are cracks in the cement, my dear. I had a couple, blood red from Texas, you know, enthusiastic, emphatic Trump supporters, conservative Republicans to the max. And uh, they were in my office because she was saying that he uh, was neglectful of their relationship, that he was cut off, that she never heard anything about who the hell he was, that it felt like living with a stranger, and that every time she tried to get close to him, he turned into a goddamn rock. And I listened to this couple, and I said to myself, well, feminism is at the heartland, baby. Yeah, feminism is at the heartland. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I have faith in democracy. I have faith in the democratic model. We're getting beaten up right now. We are against the ropes around the world right now. You know, George Soros, listening to George Soros lately breaks my heart. Hmm. He's just, you know. Because of what? what because he's saying. Uh, he just, he's just double, you know, he's just saying. All I'm watching project after project get defeated or mm-hmm. rolled back. Or, mm-hmm. So democracy is... It might be the last gasp, Terry. Hopefully it's the last gasp. <laughs> yeah, it feels like that, doesn't it? It does. It feels like it could be the last hurrah and things are really going to shift, I hope. I have a lot of faith in millennials. For all their flaws, millennial men are the most gender democratic men on the planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, millennial men expect a dual career family. They need it because of decreased resources. They expect a dual career family and the privileges to come from it. If you're both working 40, unlike baby boomers, they have a more collaborative, egalitarian marriage. And the research is uh, completely clear, by the way, that egalitarian marriages breed happier, more satisfied partners than hierarchical marriages do. It's black white. There you go. So we, we're out of time. Anything, maybe that's a good thing to end on, unless you have any, <laughs> uh, that maybe there's more joy, happiness for everybody in a more partnership world. I talk about relational joy, which is the joy of being connected, being in the flow of connection and relationality, whether it's nature, with God, with your partner, with yourself, with your kids really being in a state of flow and connection. And that's the only joy we humans feel. That is the source of joy. Mm-hmm. It's the pearl of great price. One of the reasons why the therapy that I do works so quickly and so profoundly, and it does, I'll, I'll just say it, I'll own it, is that I put people in the jet stream of relationality and it's so pleasurable, it's so much better to live there Mm. that they just take to it it self-reinforces because it's the way we're intended to live it's what we're designed to be so why don't we leave that there sounds really good thank you so much for your time really greatly appreciate it (laughs) you're welcome it's been terrific thank you Thanks for listening. Uh, We have some great new episodes in the works and we're working hard to get you more regular content. So please stay tuned and ask your friends to subscribe to the podcast on the website, susancoleman.global, LLC. See you again soon.